Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. What you're about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are spending the summer in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a big word, but it simply means repetition of the law or a repeating of the law. It is a book comprised of a series of sermons Moses gave the people of God before they were to enter the promised land. They had spent 40 years wandering. It was a time of formation, identity, and unexpected lessons. These divine words come to us out of the wilderness. Who here is a hunter? Right? Only one? No, we've got to have more than one hunter here. Oh, right, we've got Danny in the back. He's clearly a hunter. I can see it. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, here's the thing. I love to hunt. Um, and I, I really don't know why I love to hunt. Um, I, I didn't grow up hunting. It wasn't like something I did as a kid, and I'm not particularly good at it. But <laughs> I, I just love it so much. And I remember the first time I went hunting, like so vividly. And it was about seven years ago or so. Um, and it was Sarah's dad who actually brought me hunting for the first time. At the time, he wasn't my father-in-law. He was just my girlfriend's dad. Um, and it was me and him and Sarah's brother and then one of my best friends, Devin, who uh, went out hunting. And me and Devin had never been hunting before. And I was like, I was pretty psyched. I was just pretty excited to go out there and shoot some guns. And uh, I figured I'd probably be a really good hunter because I watch a lot of action movies. And <laughs> TV always translates to, to real life. And so um, on our way out there, I'm, I'm just super excited. I'm picturing in my head, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to probably have an entire pile of birds. Um, you know, and we're going to go home and make little quail po or dove poppers. Um, and it's going to be a great time. And um, we get out there. I hop out of the car. I'm in my camo. I'm ready to go. Go to the back of the truck. Um, we get the guns. And, and as Sarah's dad is getting the guns out, he kind of pauses. And he begins to uh, start this little speech. And I'm thinking, like, come on, let's just get out there and let's go, let's go shoot some stuff. This is going to be awesome. And he's like, all right, first off, boys. Uh, and you know, like, when a speech starts like that, it's going to probably take a little while. He goes, first off, boys, guns are not toys. Um, and then he continues on with this you know, long spiel. It probably wasn't that long. It was probably two or three minutes. But it felt like an eternity, because I just wanted to get out there. And he, and he begins this spiel. Now, now I've heard it quite a few times. Um, but he says, first, you never point a gun at anything you don't want to kill. You never point a gun at anything you don't want to completely destroy. So I don't care if the gun is loaded, not loaded, if it's on, the safety's on, safety's not, whatever. You, you just never point a gun at anything you don't want to kill. And he's like, number two, you keep the safety on until you're ready to shoot the gun. So you, you don't just you know, run out there, hand on the finger on the trigger with the safety off, you know, walking around. Because what happens? You, you might fall, you might trip, and boom, off goes the gun. So you leave the safety on until, um, until you're ready to shoot, until you're ready to, to pull the trigger. Number three. He said, you always want to remember where everyone else is. You want to know where everyone, where's the other hunters? I mean, there's four of us there, so I got to keep track of where's the other three guys that I'm hunting with. And to be honest, the first time he is, is explaining this to me, 
I was not paying attention at all. I was like kind of looking over his shoulder and envisioning like all the birds that I was just gonna, you know, <laughs> fire down. And uh, and so we we finally get the guns. You know, I load up with all the shells and the the little vest, and um, I thought I looked pretty cool. And we run out there, and um, I, I realize I'm not a great shot. I've never done this before. And uh, the, the picture in my head was not what was happening. And, and we're kind of standing out there, and um, we're all separated you know, by a good distance. Uh, and, I, and I'm realizing that Ben and Mr. Esparza, uh, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law, are knocking down birds like left and right. Like it feels like every shot they take, they're knocking down a bird. And I've probably thrown 30, 40 rounds into the air. <laughs> And, and just hit nothing. Um, and they're kind of expensive. Like, I'm wasting money. I'm just shooting money into the air. And uh, I, I look over at Devin. I'm like, well, at least Devin hasn't hit anything either. You know, like, we're kind of in the same spot. And then Devin hits a bird. And now I'm starting to panic. Like, my manhood is at stake here. If I end the day and I haven't killed a bird, like, this is going to look really bad. I'm gonna, it's just the shame is just going to be poured onto me. I, talked a lot in the car on the way there about how good I was probably going to be at this. And so um, I, I remember finally seeing this bird that was coming in low. I thought, you know what, I'm going to wait a little longer on this one. Um, I, I was probably a little too excited, maybe shot a little too early. Birds were too far off. So I waited a little longer on this one bird. And as it was coming down, um, it was kind of swinging. It was kind of swinging across my body. And as it was coming down, I was realizing, oh, it's, it's looking like it's going to come land. And I remember Ben saying, you know, it doesn't really count if you kill a bird once on the ground. You know, it's not, really, uh, it's not really fun to shoot a bird that's just like sitting on the ground next to you. It doesn't, it doesn't really count as, you know, a bird. So if you kill a bird on the ground, everyone just, you know, kind of looks at you like, what are you doing? That's messed up. Don't do that. And so I thought, like, well, I, I've, I've got to shoot this bird before it lands. Like, I've got to pull the trigger before it lands. And so the only thing I'm thinking is, let's kill this bird. And I pull the trigger. And as, as I'm pulling the trigger, I think, where was Devin? And as soon as I pull the trigger, I hear a scream uh, from straight down the other side of my barrel. Um, and this is the point in my life <laughs> where I think, Man, I've just killed one of my best friends. And the funny thing is, this morning we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Um, I think I always thought the, the one that was easiest to keep, right? It's like, <laughs> don't kill. Number six. Like the other ones, you know, honor your mother and father. That's tough sometimes. Or, you know, do not lie. They're, the other ones, they can be a little hard to keep every now and then. But do not kill, like, that was the given. That was like the one that you always had in the bag. Um, and so you're going to have to wait to see if I've broken that sixth commandment or not. Um, before we get into it, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for the way that you love us. Lord, I, I just pray that this morning that my words would be your words, that anything from me uh, would just be thrown away. Lord, we just ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have for us this morning. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so the Ten Commandments. We're in this series uh, called Out of the Wilderness, and we've been following the Israelites as they have left Egypt. They've made the exodus from Egypt, um, and now they are in the wilderness, and we're finding out that there are different things that come out of the wilderness. Um, There's different blessings that have come out of the wilderness. There's different things that the Israelites are learning out of the wilderness, and, and we're beginning now to learn from those things. And it's been a couple months, um, and they get to Mount Sinai, and God begins to give them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments um, are just ten of over 600 laws that are given in the Old Testament. And, um, but, but they're kind of set apart. They're, they're a little bit different because they're kind of like, like the U.S. Constitution is, um, for us. It's like the Ten Commandments are like the main thing. They're, they're the, the big time law. All the other laws are kind of measured up against the Ten Commandments to make sure, that, you know, are these, these laws, they would be kind of be like, for us, like the federal laws. And sometimes federal laws change, and sometimes, you know, federal laws are for a specific group of people at a specific time. Um, but, but the Constitution, you know, that's something that, that kind of stays... Uh, the same. And so here we come to the Ten Commandments, and God is speaking. And I'm just going to read to you real quick the Ten Commandments. This is actually from the message, just because I thought this is a long chunk of scripture and it would be easier to understand from the message. Um, and so I'm going to read to you for a second from the, Bible, from the Bible. Exodus 20, verse 1. It said this God spoke. All these words. I am your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the life of slavery. No other gods, only me. No idols, no carved gods of any size, shape, or form, whether things that fly or walk or swim. Don't bow down to those things. Don't serve them because I am your God and I'm a jealous God, punishing children for the sins of their parents that are passed on to the third and even the fourth generations of those who hate me. But I'm unswervingly loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. No, using the name of God, your God, in curses or in silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, Work six days and do everything you need to do, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to your God. Don't do any work. Not you, not your son, not your daughter, not your servant, not your maid, not your animals, not even the foreign guests visiting your town. For in six days, God made heaven, earth, and sea, and everything in them, and on the seventh, he rested. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day. He set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother so that you'll live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. And he starts to spit them out here. He says, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor, no lusting after your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey or car. Don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. So... Here, 
God gives his people commands. And I want to ask the question, what's the point of looking at the Ten Commandments? I mean, most of us have heard the Ten Commandments. We could probably name like six or seven of them if we tried. Um, but, but, but what's the point of, of actually looking into the Ten Commandments? What's, what's the point of looking into any of the law, really? Because as Romans 6, 14 says, we are not under the law, but under grace. And, and growing up, I think I thought, you know, the Old Testament, it was all about the law, right? That's, that's kind of what the old, I mean, there's 600 of them in there. So the, the Old Testament is about the law, but, but then Jesus came, and now there's the New Testament. And, the, and now, for us, it's about grace. It's about grace through faith in Jesus, and that's, that's what saves us. But for them back then, that was the law, and that was important back then. But for us now, it's like, do we even need to pay attention to the law at all? Is it important at all for us? We can kind of just throw it out because, you know, Jesus came, and now it's about grace, and it's not about the law anymore. And I think there's something... Um, wrong about that belief that I've had in the past, um, and, and I want to kind of dive into that with you guys. Um, we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 2, um, and in this verse, Paul is actually talking to Peter, and Peter, uh, he, Paul's actually kind of calling Peter out, because Peter's kind of um, given into peer pressure. And, he, and he's kind of adding things to the gospel that shouldn't be there, which is a big no-no. And so Paul's calling Peter out. And during this, this point, during this time where he's calling Peter out in Galatians, he says this in verse 15. He says that we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I think this is kind of interesting because he says, look, by, by works of the law, no one is justified. He, he's not saying it used to be that by works of the law, we were justified. Like, you and I are Jews, and we know that it used to be the law, and now it's about faith. He's saying, no, 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 it was never about the law. This word justified, um, it's a legal term, and a judge would use it you know, in, in the pronouncement of guilt or innocence. You, you would say, oh, you've been found guilty or you're justified. It's this idea of being not guilty, of being innocent, of being blameless. And so Peter here, he's saying, look, or Paul, here saying, Peter, look, you and I are both Jews, and we've grown up with this whole Old Testament, and we know that it's never been the law that justifies. It's never been the law that sets you free. It's never been the law that makes you innocent. It's always been by faith. And so, um, I think... What I've always thought to be true about the Old Testament, or what I used to always think was true about the New Old Testament, might not be true. And, and that the Old Testament is, is not about the law, but yet something completely different. 
Because the Bible isn't the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible is one story all the way through about one thing. I want to show you guys that this morning. Um, And so we're going to take a a little tour through the Bible uh, as a whole. And and hopefully we can see uh, the truth that God has for us. So we start at the very beginning, right? We start with Adam and Eve. And here God has created the world and he's created everything. And he's, and he's got Adam and Eve, and he says, be fruitful and multiply and go and, you know, name all the animals, and, and everything is good. And he gives them one command. He gives Adam and Eve one command. What does he say? He says, don't eat from that one tree. Don't eat the fruit from that one tree in the garden. It's not heavy-handed. It's like, th- this is the one thing. Just don't eat from that one tree. And of course, we know Adam and Eve, they break the command. They break the law. And what does God do? Before he kicks them out of the garden, Adam and Eve, they realize their nakedness. They realize that they have shame because of it. And they go and they make these leaves that cover up their, their nakedness. And God shows up. And God looks at them and he's like, what have you done? But then God does something. He makes animal skin coverings for Adam and Eve. So he takes these animal skins and covers their nakedness. He covers them. And I don't know about you, but probably a deer didn't kind of hop by and say, hey, you just take my skin, I'll be good. (laughs) There, There had to be a sacrifice made, right? There's this blood sacrifice that's made in order to cover Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve come, Cain and Abel. They're brothers. And Cain, he's a farmer, so he's got this produce that, you know, he's, he's got crops. And Abel, he's more of like the rancher. He's got animals. And they both make a sacrifice to the Lord. They both give up something for the Lord. But God accepts which sacrifice? The sacrifice of the animal, the sacrifice with blood that's made. Because God's not interested in them just giving something up. He's trying to point to something bigger that's coming. And we get to Exodus. And before they've left Egypt, we know what's happening is Moses is, is, he's, it's the let my people go thing, right? So he's come to the Pharaoh, and he's, he said, like, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And so the plagues come. And the last plague, the worst of all the plagues, is the death of the firstborn son. And so what does God tell the Israelite people to do in order that their firstborns won't be killed? Does he say, you know, make sure you're good enough. Make sure you try harder. Make sure you check off enough things on this list. Oh, he says, look, take the blood of a lamb and place it over the door. Again, we see this picture of blood being the sacrifice that takes care of the problem. Then, so we have Genesis, we have Exodus, then we get to Leviticus. And Leviticus is full of laws. It's full of... um, kind of guidelines on all the different sacrifices that need to be made. 
And um, one of the sacrifices that needs to be made is, is during the Passover, which got its name from Exodus, where the, the angel of death passes over the houses with the blood on them. And during Passover, what you had to do is you had to bring a lamb to the priest, and the, you had to place your hand on it, and the priest would, it's kind of gruesome, the priest would slit its throat. And, and the idea there was that you were placing your hand on the lamb and, and saying, I'm putting my sin into this animal, and, and then there's this blood sacrifice that takes place. So it, there's something happening here. There's a pattern that's beginning to take shape. So we've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and we get now to the prophets, and we get to Isaiah. And, and this is still before Jesus shows up. This is still Old Testament. And Isaiah kind of explains that we were always sinners, that we could never keep the law, that God always had to intervene. And he explains it. In chapter 53 of Isaiah, verse 5, he starts and he says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. This is, this is 700 years before Jesus ever shows up. This is 700 years before Jesus is born. And Isaiah is saying, look, there's a man that is coming, and all of our sin is going to be placed on this one man. And, and, and when that man takes our sin, he's going to become the blood. He's going to become the lamb that we've been placing our, our sin in. He's going to become the sacrifice for us. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We've got Isaiah. And then we get to the New Testament, and there's this guy, John the Baptist, and he's kind of a crazy guy, and he eats locusts and, he, and honey, and he's got crazy hair, and he's preparing the way for the, the lamb of God who's going to come. And the minute he sees Jesus, the first time he sees Jesus in the New Testament, he says this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's nuts. It's like there's this whole, there's this whole pattern, and it's building, and it's building, and they're saying it's this blood sacrifice that takes care of our sin. It's this blood sacrifice that makes us right with God. And we get to the New Testament, and John calls it out. He says, there, there he is. That's the guy. That's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I think the writer of Hebrew wraps it up perfectly. In, in chapter 10, he says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. 
But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible, impossible, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He says, look, do, do you understand what we were doing all that time? All that time that we were making those sacrifices for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we were making sacrifices of these animals. And do you know what that was? He says that that, that blood that was shed, that was just a reminder. So the, the blood of those animals, it never, it's, what did he say? It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So look, it wasn't those sacrifices of the animals that were taking care of your sin. He says, look, you were putting your faith in the one who ultimately would take care of sin with his sacrifice. In verse 11, he finishes it by saying, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He's saying, do you get it? That this has been the picture, this has been from the beginning God's plan. There's, there's this man who came in Jesus, who was the God-man, and he lived a perfect life, and he fulfilled the law, and he did everything it said, and then he took the sin on for us. And, and so it was never about fulfilling the law in the Old Testament. Even in Revelation, it says we'll be singing about the lamb who took on the sin of all of us. The law was never meant to be about earning something from God. And so when we, when we separate the Old Testament and the New Testament, we say the Old Testament was about the law. That's not true. The Old Testament was about Jesus the Old Testament was about grace, about faith in Christ, faith in the Messiah who would come and save us. Even in the saving of Egypt, when he gives them the law, the very first thing he says before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he says, I am God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a life of slavery. He says, look, I already saved you. I've, I've already brought you out of Egypt, and now I'm giving you the law. Notice he doesn't give the, Egypt, or the, the Israelites the law while they're in Egypt. He doesn't say, here's the law, and if you do it well enough, then I'll take you out of here. Then I'll save you. Then I'll rescue you from this slavery. No, he gives them the law after they've already been saved. And so... The law was never meant to be something instead of God's grace. And I think that's, in our heads, we've, we've said, yeah, the Old Testament was always about the law. But it was never meant to replace Jesus. It was never meant to replace God's grace. And so this, the Bible, from beginning to end, is about one thing. It's about Jesus. See, that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees twisted the law. They twisted it and made, and made following the law and obeying the law everything so that they didn't need God's grace anymore. Because if I follow the law good enough, maybe then I don't need God's grace. And that's why Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. 
He said, you look good on the outside. Like, it's real pretty on the outside, but you're dead inside. And God has never been merely about a, a change of how we act. It's always been about something deeper, about transformation on the inside, transformation of our souls. And so we can't then say that, well, that was Old Testament. The law was like the Old Testament stuff. And so now we don't have to pay attention to it anymore, right? Because even in the Old Testament, God saved them through his grace, not through the law. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean the law is important? Well, Romans 3.31 says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Faith, Basically saying, do we just like not obey the law anymore? Do we just like throw the law away because we have faith now in Jesus? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So the law is clearly important still. But what's it for? What's the purpose? If the purpose of the law is not in order to earn us something, if it's not to, to, to get salvation from God? What is it for? I think there's three things that the law is meant to do. The first thing that it's meant to do is the law reminds us of our need for a savior. I mean, this is essentially what I've just gone through and then, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, each of those things, each of those laws that were put in place were to remind the people that they couldn't do it themselves, and that there was someone coming who would do it. You know, I, I like to think of the, the laws as kind of like a MRI machine. Actually, Joe, Joe just told me he has to get an MRI uh, on his ankle. He came in on crutches. And what does the MRI do? It basically gives you a picture. It tells you if there's something wrong. So if you've broken your ankle, you go get an MRI on it. The MRI tells you, yeah, you have a broken ankle. The MRI doesn't fix the broken ankle. You still either got to go do surgery or get a cast or do you know, physical therapy. There's something else that fixes the problem. It just makes us aware of the problem. And that's what the law does. The law was never meant to be the solution to the sin problem that we have. It was only meant to make us aware of the sin problem. That's why Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. It was never meant to make you right with God. It was to make you realize you needed to be made right with God. Second thing that the law does, I believe, is that it reveals God. The law reveals God to us. It reveals to us what he's like. In Leviticus 19, one of God's commands, he says, is be holy. Be holy because I am holy. He says, if you want to you know what I'm like, follow my law. Obey my law. Obey my commands. And then you'll begin to see what I like, what I'm like. You'll begin to see what I love and what I don't love. You, you begin to know my heart if you obey my law. And then if you obey my law, you begin to be made like him. You, you can know things about a king based on the laws of his kingdom. 
If he's a just king, if he's a good king, there's just laws and good laws. And if he's an evil king, there's evil laws. So you begin to learn about God because of his law. It reveals who he is. Third thing it does is that the law brings us, leads us to freedom and fuller life. Leads us to to freedom and fuller life. You know, the lie of Satan from the very beginning, the lie that Satan told Eve at the very beginning was God is holding out on you. That there is something better out there. That, you know what, you would do a better job being God than God does. God's holding out on you. And I think that's the lie we still believe today when, when we don't want to follow God's commands, when we want to go our own way. It's because we have this feeling like, God, I feel like God's holding out on me. Like maybe, maybe there's something better out there. Maybe I could figure it out better on my own. You know, after I heard um, Devin scream, I looked up and I saw him holding his neck. And I thought, uh-oh, this is bad. And so I ran over there. Um, I, I didn't even look to see if the bird was dead or not. Um, and he's holding his neck, and he says, you shot me. And I think, oh my gosh, like, he's probably going to bleed out, and then what am I, I don't know why I'm smiling right now, because it was <laughs> not funny when it happened. It was like very unfunny. Um, and he pulls his hand away. I'm looking at his neck. I'm like, where did I, where did I shoot you? And he's like, right, you see this? You shot me. And I was like, are you sure that's not a pimple that you popped? He's like, no, you shot me. I was like, okay, I'm really sorry. Like this is, you know, and, and I realized, man, I really got away with something here because you know, I could have been going home that day with one less friend and then going to jail. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, I really got lucky. And the thing is, I, I've come to realize that, you know, the, the, the rules that Mr. Sparza was kind of laying down at the beginning before we went out there, it's not because he was like, oh, man, they're going to have too much fun if they go out there and just start shooting stuff. And so I need to lay down some rules to kind of you know, take some fun back from them. He didn't, he didn't do it because he's like, well, they have to listen to me, and I'm the boss. And I, you know, if I tell them what to do, it makes me feel pretty good. He does it. He, he laid out those rules. And now, pretty much any time I take someone out hunting that has never been hunting before, I, I lay out the rules, too, because the rules are there to, to lead us into fuller, better experience. It's not fun shooting your friend. It's a lot more fun to go hunting and not accidentally kill someone. And the rules are there to protect us from that. And, and God has set up his law, he set up his commands because he wants to protect us. He wants to take care of us. And he wants us to, to not shoot our friends, essentially. It's not because he's trying to flex his, his omnipotent power and say, like, look, you have to do what I say because I'm God. And it's not because he's withholding something from us, like, you know, you can't have too much fun down there on earth. No, he's trying to give us everything, but we constantly think he's just taking from us. And, and in obeying the law, there's freedom. 
You might ask, how could there be freedom in the law? Isn't a law constricting? It restricts me from the things I want to do. The great uh, church father, Augustine, he always taught that true freedom is not choice or lack of constraint, but in being what we were meant to be. And he says this about freedom. He said, humans were created in the image of God. True freedom, then, is not found in moving away from that image, but only in living it out. The closer we conform to the true image of God, Jesus Christ, the freer we become. The farther we drift from it, the more our freedom shrinks. See, God gives us the law, not so that we would earn something. God has never merely been in the business of of trying to modify our behavior. He's always been in the business of transforming our spirit. And it doesn't happen from this outside in I just need to pull up my bootstraps and try harder and be a better person. I just need to check enough boxes and do enough good things. It happens from the inside out. The Bible says that, that God has given us the Holy Spirit now. He's, he's written his law on our hearts. And now when we obey the law, when we obey things like the Ten Commandments, It's not to win God's favor, but rather because we already depend on his free grace and trust that those commands are going to lead us into fuller, lasting joy than we could ever bring on our own. As the band comes back up, um, we're going to go into a time of communion. I think it's interesting that throughout all of the Old Testament, the people, they did this thing in order to, the opposite of remember, I guess, like, I guess remember works. They did this thing where they sacrificed with blood an animal because they were pointing forward to what was to come in Jesus. And then Jesus On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for you, the blood that you've been waiting for for thousands of years. He says, when you eat of this, when you drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. So now when we take of the cup and, and of the bread, What we do is we point back now. We point back to the blood that bought us our freedom. And when we take of the bread and we take the juice, what we're saying is, I can't earn it. I can't obey the law good enough. I can't be good enough to earn what was given to me freely by God. So as you head to communion. My prayer for you is that you would see the law of God not as something that you have to check off because God mandates it, but as something that you 
have the opportunity. It's a gift for us to be able to obey God because we could never do it on our own. We could never do it without him first laying down his life, giving up the, the thing that we couldn't have earned so that we could have what he earned for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we aren't under the law, but the law is in us, in your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that you've given us commands to lead us into fuller life, that show us who you are, that reveal that we're not perfect, but it's okay because you were. And it's your perfection that justifies us. It's your perfection that makes us innocent. It's because you fulfilled all the law that we no longer are slaves to it. Lord, I pray that you would transform us from the inside out in this room. Lord, that we would share this story you've been weaving together for thousands of years. We would share that story with those around us, with people who need to hear it. And then we pray that you would remind us of that story every day, that we would wake up and relearn the gospel every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.